Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Hi, and welcome back to the show. On today's show, we have a very special guest, Adrian Crook. Adrian is the founder and creator of the website 5 kids Adrian lives in Vancouver, BC, and he is the father of five children. And uh, he lives in a condo downtown with his five kids, and obviously uh, his blog and his, uh, his uh, website is all about that. Adrian's been featured on a lot of media outlets lately, and a lot of people are very interested, obviously, to hear his story and, and, uh, and uh, learn more about um, the experience of living downtown in a condo with children. Um, and why, and other reasons why I wanted to interview Adrian, other than the fact that obviously it's a very interesting, um, thing to hear about. Um, not obviously a usual situation for most families, but it's obviously going to be a big trend moving forward in our cities in Toronto and Vancouver and, and many cities across, um, North America is this shift towards urban living for families. Um, Affordability has become a big problem. Commuting times is becoming a bigger and bigger problem. And uh, sustainability, the environment, these are all factors that are driving families back into the cities and and they're looking for affordable housing solutions for, um, for themselves and their children. So we, I feel like we need to have more conversations about affordability and about uh, raising families uh, in cities and about building cities for families. And so I want to be part of that um, and I'll use this podcast in some ways to be, to be part of that conversation. I think it's also uh, good to, to learn from Vancouver uh, itself as a city for us here in Toronto because uh, Vancouver is probably about 10 years ahead of us in terms of um, urban development, in terms of uh, the, their city's sort of progression, um, and certainly in terms of the condo market. So I think it's important to look at Vancouver and what they are doing now and to say, okay, how can we uh, learn from that and how can we as a city here in Toronto get there um, quicker uh, where we can learn from somebody who's come ahead of us. And another reason I wanted to interview Adrian is just um, for, again, for condo investors, the condo investor who's listening, I think, and I've been saying this for a while, I think it's it's time to really start taking take a serious look uh, at adding uh, two-bedroom units and three-bedroom units to your uh, investment portfolio um, in the core of the city because that, I believe, is, is going to be a very big and growing market in the future as more and more people are shut out of the low-rise housing market or who are delayed longer and longer uh, uh, in terms of getting into the low-rise housing market because uh, just based purely on affordability um, and the lack of new supply in that market with a growing city there's just uh, there's just a fewer and fewer people are, are able to afford to get into uh, low-rise housing and condo living for families will at some point in time become the norm in the city it may not happen in five years it may not happen in 10 years but uh, at some point in time that will be the norm in the city of Toronto Okay, so let's get to the interview with Adrian Crook. Uh, for all the show notes on this episode and links to Adrian's website and uh, his Twitter account and everything, you can go to truecondos.com 
forward slash five kids one condo. So the number five kids, the number one condo. All right, here's the interview with Adrian Crook. Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show Adrian Crook. Adrian is the uh, father of five and he's in Vancouver, BC and his website is fivekidsonecondo.com. Adrian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Um, Adrian, why don't you just, uh, for those who aren't familiar, tell everybody a little bit about uh, yourself, your story, um, your uh, how you sort of uh, became a celebrity in, uh, <laughs> in some circles on the internet these days. Well, you know, I think it's, obviously I have five kids uh, in a downtown condo, and fivekidsonecondo.com, and, you know, a lot of that uh, was after having tried, uh, trying a lot of other sort of living configurations. I used to own a, you know, a big home in the suburbs. Uh, I've, um, I've lived abroad with the kids as well. Uh, we lived in the Caribbean for a few years. Uh, so, you know, we've also lived in even smaller places downtown when I was just had like a single kid at the very beginning of building our family. Um, and I, you know, I, so I had a chance to sort of sample a lot of different uh, uh, living arrangements and sort of the vibrancy of, you know, especially Vancouver is the dense downtown core and uh, and how accessible everything is and walkable everything is and cultural density of it. It just, it's sort of unparalleled and it's such a great opportunity to, for the kids to be immersed in that and uh, for you to lead like a healthy lifestyle uh, just to keep things simple and show them a different set of values than, um, you know, the, the sort of quality of life is more important than quantity of stuff. And I think that's, you know, that's ultimately what's more important to them is their experiences with you and, and um, how much time you're able to spend with them uh, as opposed to stuck in commuting, what have you. And uh, that's kind of what drove me to the current configuration. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't foresee myself moving out of the downtown core. I mean, I'm sure we'll go through sort of permutations of um, condo <laughs> living, but uh, everyone really loves the simplicity of it and, and what's at our doorstep. What spurred you to sort of start the website and start the Twitter account and everything and sort of to, you know, you're really sharing your story and, and sort of in a way sort of spreading the message of, you know what you are living and what you think is is a great way to to raise a family. What? Why did you decide to, um, you know, start start the the website in particular? Yeah, it's funny. Like I turned forty this year, <laughs> so I think you know you sort of you go through your thirties and you're building your family and you're doing stuff, and then you you know when you sort of creep into that like just past middle age part, you start to think about what your values are and. And they sort of crystallized, at least for me, a little more than before, um, you know, in my 20s and 30s. I think I sort of kept an open mind almost to a fault where you're just sort of trying everything and thinking like maybe, you know, maybe this is for me and maybe this is for me in terms of like living in the burbs or what have you. And uh, and then at a certain point, you just realize that there are just some things that are important to you, like um, like, you know, being immersed in, in a city and being immersed in sort of, um, you know, civic uh, activities, if you will, like, um, you know, the politics of the city, uh, but also just showing your kids a good role model in terms of, like, sustainability, so you're not occupying too big a footprint on the planet, uh, 
And so to to me, it just sort of made sense. And I've always I've had blogs and and websites since the nineties, pretty much. So um, I just sort of started writing about it, and uh, and it, there really is a, a a pretty solid undercurrent of people who feel exactly the same way. But I think I think the issue is the whole standard narrative is you know you know, buy a house and grow your wealth that way. And that's sort of the gold standard for success. Um, and that's just, that's a very North American thing. Like bigger is better and get that man cave and, you know, that's how you'll know you've made it. And so I, I really feel like that society, at least in North America, really for, reinforces that perspective. And, and in, you know, like the, the voices, the fewer voices that, that are actually talking about alternatives to that, um, heard a little bit more because we can't all have and nor should we a big house. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your setup and, and everything. So your kids, how old are your kids again? You have five kids. What are the ages? Yeah, it's a uh, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy. <laughs> and it's uh, eight, seven, six, five, and three. Eight, seven, six, five, three. Um, and it's called the countdown before. It's <laughs> <laughs> Just missed one in there. But uh uh, and uh, how big your condo itself? Uh, what's the dimensions or what's the size of it? Square footage is. It's uh, so there are two towers here that are sort of twin towers. There were construction was finished in 1994, and this is in Yale Town, um, which is sort of a in Vancouver. Uh, it used to be a textiles and uh, sort of warehouse sort of district. That's now, you know, um, I think it went through a period in the in the 90s and early 2000s where it was sort of more style over substance, uh, very trendy. And now a lot of those sort of young 20s um, people that inhabited, myself included, in the late 90s, I lived here as well in Yale Town, inhabited Yale Town in those times have like, coupled up and started to have families. So, I mean, this building that I'm in is uh, 30 stories, and it's got, I would say, if I just had to estimate, about 160, 170 units, so about five or six units of floor. And, um, and I think there are by my building manager's count, about 60 kids in this building. And that is mostly due to the fact that um, the floor plans at the time this building were, was constructed were slightly more generous than what was built in subsequent years in this uh, in Yale Town. Um, so it's a two-bedroom, uh, two-bathroom, about 1,053 square feet with a small deck. Uh, we're on the 29th floor. Um, so great view. We're sort of right on the corner. We're south. Uh, west facing predominantly. So from a heating perspective, uh, I think we cruise through the winter with like the, the highest utility bill for electricity. Um, we don't have gas. It was like $40. And I remember living in, you know, certainly when I lived in Mexico and when I lived in North Vancouver in a house, like we would have hundreds of dollars a month worth of utility bills. So, you know, it's it's pretty well set up for sort of, um, you know, family, um, uh, communal living sort of uh, settings. You still there? Yep, still here. Oh, great. Um, um, okay, great. So it's about just over a thousand square feet. Um, and do you do you own a car? Or do you have a bus? Or what? Uh, what do you do? <laughs> we have a bus. Totally. We. Uh, How do you? What do you do for transportation? Yeah, most of the time we walk. Um, and then there's there are four different car share organizations in Vancouver. Uh, Moto, Cardigo, Zipcar, and Evo. And we have memberships to all of those. So if you're ever just 
you know, out and about and you need a car to get somewhere, you just, you know, fire up an app and grab it and go. Uh, we have a really junky old minivan that's just mechanically sound and safe, but I think I paid about 2800 bucks for it, like, a couple of years ago that, you know, we used um, to get the kids to and from school because uh, they go to school in just across the bridge in North Vancouver because uh, there's a real shortage still of um, downtown school space. Uh, and that's something that the city's trying to address, but it's, you know, schools don't get built quickly. So, you know, they've got to go to school somewhere. Mm-hmm. Why do you think, uh, why do you think the, you've received so much media attention lately and interviews, and I think you just mentioned you've got like three or four interviews just today alone. Uh, why do you think people are so interested in your family and your story? In your life. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I can speak to this local market in particular, and there's a, there's a real hue and cry in this local market about affordability, and a lot of it is very justified, um, concerns about foreign ownership. A lot of times, um, you can debate the effect of that. Uh, you know, but real, you know, a lot of people saying, oh, the average house price is over a million. I can't afford a house in Vancouver. Um, so there's there's a lot of sort of pressure from that side that we should be able to have a house in Vancouver. But I think, you know, I sort of represent, represent the other side of that spectrum where the problem is mostly between our ears. Like, it's mostly to do with expectations. And, you know, in North America, again, like our expectation is we get a house and we get a big house and, you know, and and that's how it goes. And you're sort of somewhere on that spectrum towards owning a house and there's no other sort of end goal. If you have a family, then you got to go out and get your house in the yard. And um, there's just a whole different way to do it. And it's not terribly unique. It might be sort of slightly more unique in North America, but in the rest of the world, um, you go to big cities and you know, it's like 70% of uh, Europeans rent. Um, you look at like the square footage of new houses in the UK, um, it's about a third of what a new house built in America would be. Um, so we really, you know, we've gone big in our society, and uh, and I think that's now sort of clouding our expectations of what uh, we should be able to afford when reality is, like, the cost of maintaining those things, either from, like, a, a civic level of, like, servicing with police and fire, large distributed suburbs is just, it's not economical anymore, or on an individual level of, like, maintaining a house and and then commuting into work, and when you add up all those costs, it's a lot of people are just finding that quality of life is um, more, you know, more what they're concerned with, like living outside of their house than building a, a giant castle. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious what, uh, I read one quote in, in an article, uh, I think it was in the Globe, um, curious what, uh, what is the rest of your family, like your parents or people in your immediate family, uh, think think about you and your your choice to live to live this lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, it's. I think of what a lot of people think in general, and I won't speak necessarily about say my parents in this case, but I think they think that you know an adult living downtown is still trying to lead like a bachelor sort of lifestyle, and you know that you live downtown because you just want to party, and uh, it's a really antiquated notion, especially when you look at what Vancouver's downtown is like, and just. It's predominantly residential, um, so many parks, so many green spaces and art galleries and aquarium and uh, just, you know, an incredible sort of diverse mix of 
things to do for families and individuals. It really is like a much more rich environment for families than if you go to, you know, when you go out to the burbs, it's very much a monoculture. It's a lot of people very similar to you. You're not really seeing the full spectrum of life from poor to not poor and middle class and all that. And you really see that in cities, you know, and I think that's important for um, for kids to be exposed to. I mean, we, the downtown east side, it's Canada's sort of poorest postal code, and uh, we frequently, you know, walk through there just in the course of our day, and the kids are, you know, are able to see that everyone's not as fortunate as they are. And um, I know, I think my parents sort of come from a generation that was sort of really happy to have a house and to be able to, felt fortunate to fill it with stuff. And, um, and that's just not the reality we live in anymore uh, from an environmental perspective, but also just, you know, this generation is the first that's going to do sort of worse than their parents by most measures. And we can't expect to have all those sort of trappings of material success if, if those are the facts or that's what we're facing. Um, we talked, you talked a lot about the advantage and things you love about it and obviously the lifestyle aspects of it um, that are, are very appealing, obviously. Um, and some of the myths around it, like you, you said, people think it's about partying or the, this kind of thing. But um, what are some of the challenges, though, uh, that you do have or what are some of the things that you, you, you do miss or wish you had from living in a house? I'm curious. Um. That's a tough one. Uh, obviously, you know, I have a strong bias towards this <laughs> type of living, um, so it's hard for me to see the cons. Uh, you know, sometimes the idea of having a yard where you just open the back door and the kids go play out there. Right. You know, yes and no. I mean, we have a we have a courtyard down in the you know between the two buildings that we live in, and there's no reason why they can't go down there and. Uh, so as far as cons go, um, not too much. I really love the fact that everything uh, everything we own is within these walls. We don't have a storage unit somewhere. We don't even have a storage unit down in the parking level like a lot of condos do. We have an in-suite wow. storage unit. That we turn that in-suite storage unit into a um, an art room for the kids because we don't even own enough stuff to fill that. So I think what a lot of people don't understand is the, the sort of the overhead of owning stuff, like that saying that, you know, your stuff owns you is more true than I think a lot of people realize. And once you sort of get rid of a lot of that stuff that you spend all your time and mental energy maintaining, then it's, you can relax and enjoy what's around you. And that's, you know, I'm standing in our bedroom right now with the, the door locked so the kids don't sort of barge in, but, uh, and I'm looking out all the way from, you know, the University of British Columbia out there at Point Grey all the way to East Vancouver on the other side. Um, and it's just that huge big city in front of you that you can walk to. And uh, that's just, to me, that's priceless. So. Okay. What about, uh, what about, is it lonely in, in the sense of, uh, is it lonely for, uh, do you feel moments of being alone like in, as a parent? Like because you feel like you're, 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 like a trailblazer, you're doing something that no one, you know, not many people are doing and you don't have many peers or people in the immediate area that are sort of living the same thing. And also for your kids, is it, you know, the people would say, oh, well, in the burbs or in the, in the, in a house uh, neighborhood, you just walk out your front door and, and there's lots of kids, you know, you can just play with on the street and things like that. 
Um, so what would you say about that is in terms of, is it a lonely experience at times or is, is that not a, not true? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think people can be insular no matter whether they're in the burbs or the, or the city. I remember when I had a house in, in the burbs and everyone sort of pulled, you know, into the back alley and into their enclosed garage and went into their house. And, uh, it really wasn't the same, you know, that sort of ideal, everybody's sort of saying hi neighbor across the fence in the front yard sort of scenario so you know it can be like that uh, obviously downtown even though you know, there are 60 kids in our particular building it still takes some effort to reach out to them so when you see them in the in the elevator it's you know you're writing down your email address and, and coordinating uh, getting together and uh, but eventually like our family has you know made those friends where they're just they're over all the time at each other's place, like in the same in the same building or in the close by. They'll you know come over and hang out. So um, I think you know it, it, no matter what environment you're in, it just takes a bit of effort to sort of reach out of your bubble and uh, make those connections. And it's really easy not to, but and you just don't have any friends. Uh, as far as <laughs> lonely, as if um, you know I'm doing something trailblazing. Uh, I think only the number of kids would be the trailblazing aspect in at least in this neighborhood because like I said you know there's just uh, so many families downtown um that it's not it's not really a new concept um you know I think it's just it obviously the predominant model is house outside of the city core but for those of us that are living downtown and raising a family here it's yeah, this is the normal so. mhm what do you think it would take in Vancouver specifically, but uh, probably a lot of what you're going to say would apply to Toronto as well, downtown, but what do you think in Vancouver it's going to take to get more families living downtown and more families living in uh, in apartments and in, in high-rise living? You know, I think as humans, we do a pretty bad job of assessing how happy we might be in a particular situation. And I think, I know I've done this in my life. I've just sort of blindly followed, you know, a particular narrative in the past uh, and, you know, wound up at various stages of my life and places where I just, it took me a while to figure out why I wasn't happy. <laughs> and I think, you know, one of those decisions, at least for me, was when I, you know, I, I sort of, I had a, we had our first kid and we had a second kid and we decided we were going to move into that, you know, like so many downtown couples do now, you know, this downtown life has been fun and now we're going to move into a house in the burbs and uh, we'll have 2,500 square feet available to us. And and then when you get there, you realize what's involved in that, you know, with the commute and now you're, you know, renovating or maintaining a huge house. And, um, and, you know, as far as walking goes, like, there's just yes, it's technically possible to walk places, but you won't see any other humans walking <laughs> with you, and there'll be cars whizzing past you. And, right. And so you really don't foresee that. You just sort of jump on that path. And I think when if people could get, if the math could be drawn out more clearly to people, if they could really envision like what they were giving up, um, uh, versus you know leading a, a more condensed life and focusing on living and experiences and being out in the world and, and enjoying what's around you as opposed to building a big giant castle, like I've said before, I think, you know, that's really sort of showing people those are alternatives and that's, that will, you know, hopefully drive more people to try it because a lot of people just don't think it's realistic. They, they just 
been told that as soon as you have those, as soon as you have, you know, one or two kids that, you know, it's time to head out of the city, your time in the city is done. And I'm just too young to, you know, to sort of pack it in. <laughs> There's a lot of life left. So. Absolutely. Now, yeah, that's from a philosophical sort of ideological perspective. There, there needs to be that shift in, in people. But, but thinking about a city building perspective, uh, like what are the challenges that you see? I know you, you, you're very interested in urban issues and, and city building and things like that. Uh, you mentioned schools. Uh, you know, I think that's for me, that's probably the biggest thing is, um, you know, even me personally, like I would live downtown in, in a heartbeat with my family uh, if there was a, a good school, you know, close by. There are some schools downtown Toronto. I don't know about in Vancouver, but there are schools, but they are generally, generally they're, they're small or they're just really, really poor performing schools in, uh, in uh, generally in poor, poor or uh, less advantaged uh, neighborhoods. So, so I mean, that school is obviously a big one. And I mean, even in our neighborhood, the, the school, the elementary school had a, I think it was about a 150-person wait list for, I think it was kindergarten or grade one. Basically, the wait list shrunk as the grades progressed. Like, by grade two, it was like 60 people. By grade three, it was, you know, 20 people. And then, because, you know, that's just what's happening. Like, people are finding they can't or whatever, for whatever reason, they're deciding to move out of downtown as their kids get older. So there has to obviously be more investment in schools to show parents that there's a, you know, K through 12 or a uh, sort of solution for um, for kids downtown. Also, um, the mix of types of units like uh, that are being built um, by developers that's trended very heavily towards sort of investment class uh, units. So like a 600 or 500 square foot one bedroom apartment is probably one of the better ways to maximize value if you're building a condo building if you're a developer. Um, but it doesn't really serve families that need two and three bedroom units uh, with a bit more space and maybe a couple bathrooms. Um, so that's uh, that's gotten more difficult uh, to find as years um, have gone on. And I'm currently trying to help a friend of mine and her uh, kids find a place uh, in the downtown area. And when you look on Craigslist, uh, looking for, you know, a two bedroom and den, let's say, with a decent amount of square feet, like. 850, 900, uh, there are, you know, six results, you know, <laughs> there's wow. a shortage. Wow. And so I think there's a role for the city to play. And the city already plays this role with developers where they negotiate, you know, the mix of market housing versus social housing and some um, developments to ensure that there's sort of social housing available for uh, people who need it so that a developer is not just building, a, you know, a bunch of uh, really high-priced units in their new condo tower. So the city already plays that role of sort of you know, trying to help developers make the right decisions about what type of units uh, that would benefit the city versus just the pockets of the developer. And uh, so I think that's probably a, a big one in there. Um, you know, and across the board, affordability, which is a really giant issue uh, to sort of unpack. I mean, it goes, goes towards so many different places, um, whether it's, trying to curb sort of speculative uh, buying of units uh, for any number of reasons because it's driving up prices or because it's leaving units empty. Um, our Coal Harbor is a slightly more uh, 
I would say it has a slightly higher vacancy rate, and that's a neighborhood downtown here in Vancouver because of that exact reason, where it's a lot of uh, a lot of um, you know maybe non-resident owners that have them as investment properties or only occupy them sort of for a portion of the year, and that really hurts the sort of neighborhood feel of certain parts. And it's not like how it is in Yaletown. Yaletown is quite the opposite, but uh, but you know you affordability back to that. It's just there's so many things that factor into that, you know, even you know, even like uh, middle class income growth over the last 30 or 40 years has been relatively flat and below inflation. So, you know, in a city like Vancouver, uh, where housing is relatively expensive, it's not like San Francisco, but you go to San Francisco and your wages are double and in U.S., of course. Um, so, you know, yes, housing is more, but you're also being paid a lot more, whereas in Vancouver, our wages are probably what they are in Toronto. And um, I know Toronto, the market's used up a lot too. Uh, but, um, you know, based on housing prices, we should probably have higher wages. But right, that's, right. Uh, that's a tough thing to sort of change overnight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Andrew, just thank you very much again for your time today. One last question before we, we go, and that is, uh, like I said, you've been interviewed a lot. Uh, even just today, you've had multiple interviews. Um, I'm curious, is there one question that no one has asked you yet about um, your life or about urban living uh, with family, with the, with kids? One question that nobody has asked you but that you wish they would, and what would that question be? I think what I, you know, so this morning I was on the morning news, but that was like a five-minute bit, and then I went to this, you know, CBC Radio 1 and did like, I think a seven minute bit where I was on with one other person. So um, you really, it's very superficial and, you know, you're sort of mostly getting what what's sort of being sought there are sound bites and there's, you know, scratching the surface of the curiosity of like, oh, five kids in a condo, it must be crazy. And, you know, that's right. cute. Um, but I think the, I think what, you know, people get a little bit to the minimalism aspect, which I like because obviously I don't believe in, you know, overconsumption of just, needless things, it's, you know, you should buy experiences uh, versus things and all that stuff. But I think nobody quite gets to the sort of environmental aspect. Um, uh, I think maybe I've got like an hour-long panel this afternoon at the downtown campus of, campus of one of our universities in Paris <laughs> because it's, you know, I'm, I'm not the world's biggest environmentalist or anything, but I, I just can't in good conscience go own a giant house and consume all those resources you know, I've obviously chosen to have a big family, so I don't believe that overpopulation is the issue. I believe that overconsumption <laughs> is the issue. <laughs> so, you know, it's in my power to solve the overconsumption issue for myself as a family and show my kids that, you know, we can be completely happy and, you know, positive members of, of our community and of the, you know, global citizens, if you will, and by making a few decisions about what we need and what we don't need and being able to, you know, um, show the spectrum of, you know, from poor all the way to, you know, we're middle class to, to middle class. Uh, so I think really to me it's that it's that environmental aspect uh, that, you know, if we're going to continue the way we're going. Um, and, you know, as a species, if you will, we can't, uh, we have to make some decisions about um, how we live that are slightly more responsible than just blindly pursuing uh, the biggest and, and the most we can possibly have. 
Great, great way to uh, to wrap it up. Appreciate your time, Adrian. Again, um, if people if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about you, um, obviously I'll include links to your website and your Twitter account. Is there anything else that uh, any other ways you want to be reached uh, online or otherwise? Best way is just uh, the Five Kids One Condo contact form. Uh, obviously, I'm always on Twitter, uh, so Five Kids One Condo, and those are numbers five and one. Um, so Five Kids One Condo on Twitter, I'm um, all the time on that. Uh, we haven't sort of set up a Facebook page or anything like that. It's just it's a matter of what you want to spend your time maintaining. Really, it's not my full time job. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, again, thank you, Adrian, for your time and uh, all the best. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Take care. Okay, there you have it. That was my interview with Adrian Crook from 5kids1condo.com. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and I hope you took something from it and found it interesting. Uh, Once again, for all the show notes on this episode, just head on over to truecondos.com forward slash 5kids1condo. And there you can find links to um, to Adrian's website and and uh, and to his Twitter feed and so on. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. If you found it interesting, why don't you go ahead and share this episode with a friend or a colleague or uh, someone in your family or fellow condo investor? And I look forward to coming at you again with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.